Amen. Lord, that is so true. But love waxes and wanes. But we never want to lose the wonder of your mercy. We want to feel your presence every day, every moment of our lives. And never lose the wonder of the mercy you shed upon us. We who didn't deserve it. But you demonstrated, Father, your love towards us. And that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Blessed be the name of the Lord. May we never lose that wonder, the wonders of your mercy. And may we sing your hallelujahs forever and ever. And amen. May we never lose it, Lord. The wonders of your mercy. You are amazing. You are amazing. And we love you, Lord. Let the reality of who you are come fresh into us once again. So our love rekindles. Instead of those ashes with the little red marks in it, the coals that are burning fire, let let us come to blaze. Blow the oxygen of your Holy Spirit upon us and wake us up, Lord, to serve you all the days of our life. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Before we get started, while we were singing that song, I just brought me to Isaiah chapter 6, and I'll read the, the, um, the passage. And that's great if you guys are standing reading the Word of God. That's great. Listen, sixth chapter of Isaiah. And you know Isaiah was the great prophet. And here we go. In the year of King Uzziah, when he died, I saw the Lord on a throne, high and lifted up, And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood seraphim. Each one had six wings, which two he covered his face. With two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of your glory. Who cried out, and the house was filled with smoke. So I said, Woe is me, I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell among in the midst of unclean people with unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a live coal, which he had taken with the thongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, This has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away, and your sins are purged. So I also heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? And then I said, Here am I. Send me. And he said, Go and tell the people that they keep on hearing, but they don't understand. They keep on seeing, but they don't perceive. They make the heart of this people dull, and their ears are heavy, and their eyes are shut, lest they see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and return and be healed. Isaiah knew it. He would be undone. But that seraphim flew to him with a tongue, with a live coal in it, and touched his lips, and he said, Your sins are forgiven. They're purged, they're taken away. So he was able to stand in the presence of God. 
We stand in the presence of God every day, believer. And we need to have this reality driven home to our hearts. We need to see with our eyes, understand with our hearts. Our lips can no longer be dull. When we read the Bible, it needs to come alive. Because it is alive. The, living, the Word of God is living and active, and it's sharper than any two-edged sword. And it's able to judge the thoughts and the intention of your heart. May we never lose the wonder why we even exist. Why God would even want me, the wretched sinner that I am and I was. But he loved me so much he sent his son. And the son being so obedient, he said, yes, Father, I'll do whatever you say. And when he walked this earth, he saw the king, the, the father, and he said, I do what the father does. So everything that Jesus did, the Father was doing in heaven. May you never lose the wonder. For some reason, you know, this weekend, and I've been calling for it, I want a fresh revival in my heart for the King of kings and the Lord of lords. I want the church to wake up. I want me to wake up. I want the, my sins to be purged away. And the strongholds of the enemy in my life to be gone. Because I want to serve the king. You may be seated now. That, was, that wasn't even a service. <laughs> Listen, for those of you that just tuned in, you're listening to the Freedom Church in the Palm Beaches. And I'm Pastor Joe Trapani. And we're glad you're online. Stay tuned. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 17, verse 24 through 27. We've been doing an expositional study through the book of Matthew. And if you're local, we're at 2810 High Paluxo Road in Lantana, Florida. So if you're in Florida and West Palm Beach to Fort Lauderdale area, you know, we just come up I-95 to, to High Paluxo Road, head west a quarter mile. We're on the north side of the road. And that's uh, 2810 High Paluxo Road. Um, you're online, so you can go to our website. You can, you can uh, see what we believe in. You can find our address. You can see our list of ministries. You can listen to services from years back. Um, and if you want to give, you can even give online. There's a give button there somewhere. It's either on the front, the back. I don't know where it's at because I didn't design the page. Somebody that used to be part of this church and still takes care of it for us has designed that page. So um, we're, we're thankful um, for God putting us here, and we serve the Lord. This church is about Jesus Christ, him crucified, dead, buried, and risen, because he's alive today. And I want you to know that. If you don't think Jesus Christ is alive, then, then go to Israel and look at the tomb. And you're going to find out that he's gone. Not only that, read your Bible. You'll find out that he's gone. It's less expensive to read your Bible. Bible cost, good Bible costs about 40 to 60 bucks, <laughs> you know. But a trip to Israel is going to cost you about 4,500 bucks, maybe. So anyway, blessings to you. Um, for all those online, too, I want to remind you, uh, those veterans out there, we thank you for being a veteran of the Army. You kept me safe when I was, when I, well, now that I'm older, I kept you safe while you were young, being in Vietnam. Vietnam, by the way, is the first time I ever picked up the Bible. And I started reading it. People are shooting over your head. You begin to think, hey, um, I wonder what's going on here. <laughs> you know? um, so you've got to find out about eternal life. So if you want to find out about life, turn into the, turn in, get into your Bible. I suggest you start with the Gospel of John, 
tells you who Jesus is right off the very bat. And I wanted to remind you that, you know, even though you're a veteran of the United States Army or the Finland Army, like Ray uh, Apollo is, I want you to know that Jesus Christ is the greatest veteran, the most decorated veteran of all times. He went to a hill called Calvary. All his men left him, and he, he defeated the enemy by, with his last breath. With his last breath, he conquered death. And three days later, according to the scriptures, he is risen, and he's here, and he's alive today. So welcome online. We're glad you're here. Those here, you are welcome uh, to, to um, be blessed by what goes on here. We're, we're a Bible-believing church. We're full gospel. We love the Lord Jesus Christ with all of our heart. We believe he came, he died, he was buried, and he is risen according to the scriptures. And he's alive, and he's here today, and I pray that you feel his presence of the Holy Spirit in, in your life. So for those of you here, we don't take an offering. If you want to give and support the church, you know, unless the Lord builds a house, then we labor in vain. There's boxes in the back you can give. If you're online, you can just go to the Give button. And we thank you in advance for your gifts and offerings. Um, before we get into our Bible study, I, I, I said earlier that I invited Jim up here. Jim is a, is a chaplain, and he has his own ministry called the RV uh, ministry, and he'll give you the details on that. But he went away from April. Every year he goes on a six-month tour or so of the United States. When he first came here, he, came, he went up to Canada, no, Canada, but Alaska. You know, puts a lot of miles on preaching the gospel and helping different ministries around the country. And I wanted him to give a report of what you may have supported by supporting him in any way you might have. And I wanted him to give a, a uh, report to the church, just like, you know, Paul did when he went back to Jerusalem, you know, he went, he gave a report of what had happened and how the churches were started that he went to. So um, Jim is here. I'll let him fill you in with any, any other facts, and I'll be back up. You get your Bibles out to Matthew chapter 17, verse 24 through 27. Jim, come on up. He goes away for six months. He left in April, came back in October, and uh, a lot of things happened, so I'm going to let's pray for him. Father God, today in Jesus' name, we lift up Jim to you. We know that you've used this man in a mighty way as he traveled the country and spoke to people about Jesus. I heard him the other day talking about this lady that came up to him and said that he must be some kind of an angel because he preached the gospel to her. And his tears were in his eyes because he knows that she was saved. And even though he planted seeds, someone else reaped the harvest. And we thank you for that. Lord, bless him as he speaks and open our hearts to hear, understand, and perceive the great news of, of the gospel that Jim presents as he travels. In Jesus' name, amen. I thank you, Pastor Joe. You're welcome. You're welcome. Wait a minute. Let me unmute you here. Hello, okay. hello. There we you're go. Un you're unmuted. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, Chaplain Jim Houchins here, uh, founder of Traveling Mercy's RV Ministry. Uh, I invite you to check out my Facebook page under that name. Uh, there's also a group page and a um, uh, YouTube channel under the same name, Traveling Mercies RV Ministry, or Jim Houchins. So um, God bless you. our people here in this family. little church uh, know me and know my testimony. Most of them have heard it. And uh, you out there in Internet land may or may not have had a chance to, to hear it. So a brief synopsis is that 
Uh, I spent 45 years in corporate America as a scientist and engineering manager, an atheist and a believer in evolution. Um, Pastor uh, read from Isaiah. He said, here am I, send me. And I said, God, leave me alone. I'm busy making money. So I really never had anything to do with the church or God or anybody that uh, talked about it. I had other friends that were atheists like me. So that went well for me for a number of years until all of a sudden it changed. Suddenly and overnight, uh, everything went bad. And uh, I went through a financial train wreck, a personal, emotional train wreck, physical train wreck with cancer, and uh, became severely depressed. And that was uh, brought to a head when my wife died. So I was ready to commit suicide, and God intervened. And I um, got saved when I was 60 years old. So um, God, you know, it's never too late yeah, to make that decision to repent and accept Jesus. I did two years of intensive study, and uh, God spoke to me, and he said, I want you to get an RV, and that will be your ministry. You will call it Traveling Mercies. So uh, knowing absolutely nothing about pulling a big rig, I have a diesel truck, and uh, I pull a 10,000-pound, 30-foot trailer. I've been in every state. I've been all over Canada four times to Alaska. If I can't drive there, I fly there. I've been in East Africa, Central America, all over the Middle East, four times to Israel. And I do recommend Israel for the believer because it makes the Bible come alive when you see those biblical sites. It's an interesting place to visit, even if you weren't a believer. A uh, fascinating place with a lot of different uh, varied you know, qualities. Part of it's a desert, a rock pile. Part of it's a uh, verdant uh, paradise. and Part of it's a stinking mosquito-filled swamp. Uh, you can have anything there you might imagine, and, and uh, it's it's such a small area. You can cover the entire country like covering one, one state in the United States. So I took off in uh, 2002 and uh, traveled around, and it's strange that God would take an a atheist, you know, and a, a techie geek type uh, introvert like me and send him out to do the work of an evangelist. And I didn't understand why he would do that. Now I realize, because uh, I'm totally inept and couldn't do any of the, these things, God gets the glory. And I've been having fun now. This is my 20th year in full-time ministry. I'm 83 years old, and I'm not planning on quitting anytime soon. But um, this year, I have described it as probably my most uh, productive uh, season. Uh, so much happened this last year at the end of COVID. I continued to travel during COVID, same as I always do, but uh, many of the things that I normally participate in, like street rallies and festivals, were canceled. So all that uh, social distancing, hand-washing, and mask-wearing uh, kept me safe. And uh, although it did not prevent the spread of, of uh, COVID, it sure cut down on the incidence of flu and, and the common cold. So in any case, uh, I think we see most of it behind us, and I'm grateful to God for that. Uh, many people think it's the judgment of God coming on the United States, and I don't believe it is. I believe we are in the end times, and the time is growing short. So for me, as a uh, traveling minister, uh, I'm trying to do as much as I can to do what I do, and what I do is a lot different than what most 
a traveling evangelist do. I don't minister in churches. I minister everywhere else. And so my approach has been to go where people gather, look for places where God is working and join in. I do prison ministry. Uh, I do homeless ministry. I do street, uh, street evangelism, usually with a group of other people. And then uh, when I'm on my own, I just tell people about Jesus, uh, engage them in conversation, quick shops, gas stations, uh, Walmart checkout line. Uh, the people are standing in line and they aren't going to jump out when you start telling them about Jesus. They just have to listen. And so <laughs> this is fun. I have been all over places that might be considered slightly unsafe. I've never had any problems. Nobody has jumped on me and caused me any harm. People say, you're an old guy. How can you be out traveling around in places like uh, Jordan and Egypt? Uh, the answer is God is protecting me because I'm doing his work. And as long as I continue to do his work, I think I'm protected. I'm pretty healthy for a guy that's my age, and I do things that people my age aren't supposed to be able to do. Now, part of my job, I think, for the kingdom is to go out there and gather information because my primary gifting is as an exhorter and teacher. And so I'm doing the work of an evangelist in a kind of a peculiar way because what I do is I engage people in conversation, and the vast majority of times they turn out to be some kind of a believer. And then I wind up teaching them something, and they'll say, oh, I sure am glad I met you. You taught me something I didn't know. So I gather information that I can use in my teaching. I've been uh, into a lot of different venues, and uh, like last year, I went to the Museum of the Bible. I recommend that to people uh, to get a chance to see what's presented there in terms of the artifacts, very old Bibles and some other materials that have been donated that uh, I, th I find extremely interesting because I like archaeology. And then um, this year, uh, one of the things I did was I went back to the, to, to the Creation Museum and the uh, Ark Encounter uh, with Ken Ham. And I've been there before. I saw them both when they first opened. And each time you go back, they've added more stuff. And so I encourage people, even if you've been there once, go back a second time or a third time and you'll, you'll see new things. So you can easily spend uh, multiple days in each of those places. Uh, you cannot see either the ark or the museum in one day. And then I went to the creation uh, uh, conference in Myrtle Beach, which is a different organization. That's the creation research organization, not Ken Ham. And uh, I wanted to get stoked up on the newest uh, science and technology on creation. And what was really interesting to me was that the geneticists have been working on the uh, dinosaur tissue. They're finding more and more dinosaur bones with uh, flexible tissue in them. Obviously, it's not millions of years old. And uh, they're pulling DNA samples out of that and trying to analyze the DNA. The um, Neanderthal man, who's more recent, he's fully human, um, they have completely decoded the Neanderthal genome, and we know exactly what the Neanderthals looked like. They were short, uh, they all have blue eyes, and uh, this is because they were isolated and they were somewhat inbred. So the Neanderthals didn't survive, they disappeared from the face of the earth for that reason. But now that we have the genome, we see you know, the genetic structure of very early man is not different than ours. So if you put a suit on this guy and stood him on a street corner, nobody would notice him as looking any different than anybody else. He is not the ape man. 
And he's just a guy who suffered the problem of being in an isolated tribe. Um, so much of the science of creation I've already learned from other scientists because that's my, my briar patch. I like to climb around in that stuff. And uh, by gathering this information, I hope to impart it to people who find that to be of interest. So as a scientist, you know, I, I know my science is true. It's uh, reproducible. It's repeatable. Uh, it can be tested. And um, that's true science. Unfortunately, in today's culture, we have a lot of what I call fake science, which is like fake news. It's meant to deceive you. And you have to have discernment to know which or which. Or go to an expert and say, is this for real? Things like climate science. You've got people who are not climate scientists talking about climate science, and they just really don't know what they're talking about. Some of the stuff they're proposing to do is extremely harmful. So I encourage people to uh, investigate, to study, to learn. And in the case of the Bible, uh, I think you would never learn everything there is to learn. Uh, Pastor, you know, read from Isaiah, which is one of my favorite books. It's a big book with a lot of information in it. And so much of it is prophecy. And prophecy is interesting because one of the things it talks about is the world that once was. Sometimes prophecy is looking backwards into a time where we don't have written history. And other times it's talking about the world that now is. And then the prophecy goes on to say, here is what will happen in the future. It's the world that will be. And in the case of Isaiah, he switches from one to another kind of seamlessly. He'll be talking about the world that once was, and then all of a sudden he's really talking about the world that will be. And you get that from the context. And so much of the teaching that you hear is taking that out of context and trying to apply to something that it doesn't really, God didn't intend it to be applied to. So read the whole passage to get the context before you start examining what it's trying to say to you. Uh, people often say the Bible is literal. You should take what it says literally. And for the most part, uh, none of it is. It's almost all to be taken uh, you know, and interpreted because it's couched in uh, you know, stories. Uh, the stories are to illustrate something, and they are metaphorical or... Uh, they have hidden meanings that the Holy Spirit will reveal to you if you ask them to. And so a lot of my teaching is to teach uh, these scriptures that have been typically interpreted literally uh, how to get the spiritual interpretation uh, and tease that out of it. And people will say, well, I just never heard that before. Well, you can accept it or reject it. I don't care. This is uh, what the Holy Spirit revealed to me. So a lot of my teaching, I think, uh, revolves around science and it revolves around the interpretation of prophecy. I've been really, really studying end times prophecy, and I believe that's what we're experiencing now, uh, exactly what uh, Jesus said in, in Matthew 24. And so I invite you to um, engage me in conversation. I put my contact information up on the Internet. You can find me. Uh, that's risky, but so far all it's resulted in is a lot of spam emails and uh, nuisance phone calls. I can deal with that because I want people to be able to find me and to talk to me and ask me questions. And I do have a lot of people calling me and saying, uh, hey, uh, we're interested in getting into the traveling ministry with an RV. Uh, what do we need to know? And I will spend two hours teaching them what they need to know because it is not easy. It is extremely expensive. And unless God is 
you know, really in it, uh, you will have trouble. So I encourage people to, uh, you know, investigate thoroughly, spend some, some serious time in prayer and fasting before you go into this kind of a ministry. Uh, but I am having fun, and I, I do enjoy what I do. So uh, thank you for the time to give you this little report. And uh, again, thank you, Pastor Joe. many warriors out there preaching about Jesus uh, that we can possibly have. There's never a shortage uh, in, the, in that department for people to preach the gospel. And that's what we need to do. Just like Jim was saying, you know, you, if you talk to them at the grocery store in line, you've got a captive audience, <laughs> you know, um, which is good. I'm, I'm more of an introvert. When I'm up here at the pulpit, I can get Lively, I guess I can I can preach the gospel, but I'm I'm not the kind of guy to go up to and say, "Hey, uh, let me tell you about Jesus." I don't know why that is. If you want to hear, I will gladly tell you. You know, it's kind of like a cold call salesman versus a salesman that just goes by phone leads. You know, people call in. I was a salesman for years, and uh, if you called in, I could sell you my product. But if I was going to go knock on doors to sell you my product, you get Hundred doors, you get ninety-nine refusals. You go to where you know where somebody wants to hear, then then I want to tell them. And that's why we're on the internet, and that's why we have recordings, and so that the message gets out there. And everybody can't be everywhere at any time. Some people are introverts, some people are extroverts, and um, some people are both. But you know, it's it's uh, whatever gift God gave you. My encouragement is use it, whatever it may be. Anyway, we're in Matthew chapter 27. We were, or not 27, we're in 17. Last week I did the first three verses of chapter 18. I didn't want to cackle this passage because, you know, uh, it would have been too long of a, a teaching. So I just skipped this portion, but it's an important portion uh, of Scripture. And uh, I want to remind you, a couple weeks ago we preached on you know, Jesus was transformed into, you know, into a cloud, and, and he was standing there with Moses and, and Elijah. And, you know, I, I capitalized on the, the, uh, the, the Greek word, which is metamorpho, which we get our word metamorphosis from. I talked to you about, you know, um, about being transformed, just like the caterpillar to the butterfly, and that's really what happens to a born-again believer. You know, you're a caterpillar crawling on, a, on, the, on the ground, and you form a cocoon, and you, you, know, you struggle for like 14 days, and you come out a beautiful monarch butterfly. And that's what happened when you were born again. You were transformed. Metamorphosis took over. You were a wretched, disgusting sinner, and then you were you 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 studied about Jesus. You entered his cocoon, and you came out after struggling. You come out a beautiful butterfly, and that's what God is making out of every believer that is transformed. It's called being born again. Jesus said it. You know, people say a lot of people get offended if you say born again. I say, don't get mad at me. I'm the messenger. Jesus is the one that said you must be born again. 
I didn't say it. Jesus said it. So if you say that he's lying, you're calling the Lord God Almighty a liar. And that isn't true because Jesus told you many times, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. I am the true vine. You know, I am the genuine vine. What he says goes. So don't get mad at the preacher. Get mad at, you know, get either you're going to take it up with the Lord and be born again, transformed. You were once uh, wretched and disgusting. You were once a drunk and alcoholic. You were transformed. You know, God changed you into something more beautiful. Amen. Like I said, I'm, I've been a believer for over 43 years. Uh, I, I was not always a believer. I was disgusting. I don't know why God would even want me. But he loved me so much he sent his son. I want you to know that. So I studied, we studied on that. Then last week, you know, we talked about the first three verses of chapter 18 where Jesus said, except you be converted and become like little children. Listen, when you're converted to Jesus Christ, you're, you have a whole new life. You're born again. You're not born of water from your mother's sack. You are born of the Spirit of God. We're triune beings. We're made in the image of God. In the passage I read in Isaiah, you know, it says, let us, and it's plural pronoun. God is a triune being. There's Father, Son, Holy Spirit. In the beginning, God, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, the first verse of Genesis. In the second verse of Genesis, you know, the Spirit of God hoovered over the face of the earth, the face of the water. There's the Spirit. You got the Father and the Spirit. And then the third verse, then God said. And if you read the Gospel of John, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. You know, so we have the Holy Trinity right in the first three verses of the Bible. The Father, the Spirit, and the Son speaking. Because, you know, we find out in Colossians, which I'll be covering it, Jesus created everything. Everything was created through Jesus. And also John chapter 1. Everything was created through Jesus. He's the voice of God. He's the word of God. It was made flesh and dwelt among us. A body was given to him. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 5. He was bodily, was given to Jesus. He wasn't a Brad Pitt. He wasn't an ugly pulper either. He was just a normal guy. And people were attracted to him because of his words. He was attracted to him because he loved them. He was, they were attracted to him because he had compassion on them. He, they were attracted to him because he had the power to make the blind see, the deaf hear, the lame walk, the, the, uh, the demon possessed free. And we learned that. And he says, unless you become, and I capitalized on that and gave you six accepts, but I'm only going to do this one. Assuredly, I say to you, except you be converted from the caterpillar to the butterfly, from an adult person to a child. You know, we have to rethink and relearn everything once you're born again. You have to rethink everything over again and do things the right way this time. You were born again. You become like a little child. You have to renew everything that we, you were taught in those 27 years or 30 years that you weren't, weren't a believer. You have to relearn everything. 
and it has to be done. You become like a little child, and then God, you know, holds you in his arms when you're first a believer, and he holds you in his arms, and you're protected, and you feel his grace and his presence, and then all of a sudden you turn into a toddler, you know, and, and daddy wants you to crawl, and you begin to crawl. Then daddy stands you up and holds your hands and takes a couple steps with you, but then he lets you go, and then you might fall on your knees a, t- a time. But as we grow in the Lord, we become like little children. We become a babies, a, an infant. Then we become a toddler. Then we become a, uh, a, a young person, you know, and they're, and they're single digits. And then they become a teenager. And then we become a young man or a young woman. And then we become a middle-aged woman or a young man. And then we become an older-aged woman or a young man. We, we grow, not only physically, but spiritually. And that's what... Freedom Church is about. I am a teacher of the Word of God. I'm a teacher of the Word of God. The Bible says to grow in grace and in knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's my job, to teach you as he teaches me. So this passage, uh, you know, you've got to become like a, a little child. But I'm going to jump back and I'm going to show you in the, in, the 20, in the 17th chapter of, of, um, of Matthew. We're gonna, I'm going to show you this is the passage where Jesus, needed, they wanted him to pay a tax which he wasn't subject to. I'm going to teach you all that. But Jesus told Peter to go cast in a hook and the first pitch, fish you catch, open its mouth, and there will be a coin in there that will pay for your tax and mine. There is a story of redemption in this passage. It's hard to believe. I don't, I, you know, I've studied the Bible for 43 years. This is the first time I ever saw it, that this is a passage of redemption. That fish is a foreshadowing of Christ's work of redemption for all people who believe. Listen, there's a, there's a requirement there, all people who believe. And that doesn't mean just mouthing the word, oh, I believe. That means adhering to, trusting in, relying on. Belief is not just, oh, oh, I believe. Belief is hearing to, trusting in, relying on. I know that he's real. I know he's real. So there's a picture here. And I only got about 20 minutes to finish this, and that's about right. Works. I think it's going to work out perfect. I'm going to read these three verses, and you see as I go along, and see if you can pick out the foreshadowing of the work of redemption by Jesus Christ. Matthew chapter 17, the temple tax. When they came to Capernaum, those who received the temple tax came to Peter and said, does your teacher not pay the temple tax? He said, yes. And when he had come into the house, Jesus anticipated him, saying, What do you think, Simon? From whom do the kings of the earth take custom or taxes? From the sons or from strangers? Peter said to him, From strangers. Jesus said to him, Then the sons are free. Nevertheless, lest we offend them, go to the sea, take up a hook, and take the fish, the first fish that comes up, and when you have opened its mouth, you will find a piece of money. 
Take that and give it to them for me and for you. You've got to remember here, Matthew, you remember his, his uh, what he did for a living? He's a tax collector. He knows all about taxes. He knows that Jesus and himself were not required to pay this tax. But God decided, Jesus decided he's going to pay it anyway. Why did he say that? Well, in, in verse 2, or no, verse 25, Jesus asked him, you know, um, teacher, does your teacher not pay the tax? And Peter said, yes. And when he had come into the house, Jesus anticipated him. That means that Jesus heard everything that Peter said. Peter agreed to pay the tax. Jesus was in another room or in a separate place, but he knew Peter said yes. And he's going to back Peter's words up. So how did he know that? Because the Bible tells us that God is the God who sees. He's the God who hears. He's, it's called El Roy. L-E-L, capital E, L, or R-O-I. El Roy, the God who sees, and the God who sees and hears. Remember, whenever, whenever the, three, the, the Lord was talking to um, Abraham, and he said, he said this, he says, I'm going to return here in about a year, and you will have a son, and you're going to name him Isaac. And Sarah was in her tent, and she began to laugh. Now, how did Jesus know she was laughing? Because he heard her. Because he saw her. He knows. That is, om, om, uh, that is omnipresence. We know that God is omnipresent. Joe, Jesus is showing in these, this one verse, two verses really, he's showing his omnipresence. He's present everywhere. He knew what Peter said, yes, and he's going to back up Peter's words. And not only that, he tells Peter, you know, uh, I'm sorry, Matthew. Well, this is Peter, I'm sorry. But T Peter, Matthew is a tax collector, so he recorded this. This is the only gospel where the fish and the coin is spoken about. Because Matthew's interested because he's a tax collector. But Peter is the one doing the trip, the, the, the thing here with Jesus. Now, the truth is, Jesus and Peter did not have to pay this tax because they were local. Did you know, Chi, and I, in a few chapters back, I showed you that Jesus' headquarters for ministry was in Capernaum. That meant he was part of that city and he was not required to pay that tax. We also find out that Peter used to live somewhere else, but when he, you know, we know that when his mother-in-law got the fever, that Jesus walked from the temple to the house. So Peter moved to Capernaum. So Peter and Jesus were not subject to this tax because they were local. It was only meant for strangers. Jesus was not a stranger. Not only that, if you want to look at it spiritually, God the Father would not require his son to pay a tax because he certainly isn't a stranger. There's so many deep things in the Word of God, you will never touch it all. But, but I'm trying to bring out something. Jesus' ministry was in, in headquartered in Capernaum. A lot of people think Jesus didn't have, because he says the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. He had a headquarters. There's no doubt about it. But he was on the road. He was an itinerant preacher. You know what an itinerant preacher does? He goes from time to time. Kind of like Jim. Goes from time to time preaching. But Jim has his own trailer he pulls with him where he sleeps. 
And some people will give them a room, I'm sure, sometimes, rather than sleep in a trailer. But Jesus was an itinerant preacher. He went from town to town. That means he had nowhere to put his head when he was on his, uh, on his ministry, which he did aggressively for three and a half years that we know of. Only strangers were required to pay this tax. Those who received the temple tax, you know, came to Peter. They figured Peter's an easy target. And, and uh, does your preacher not pay the tax? Exodus chapter 30, verse 13 through 16, and we won't t- turn there, but it's applied to everyone, every male, this tax was applied to every male over 20 years old. It was a half a shekel, five-ounce silver coin, you know, and it was, it, it was thought to be somewhere between 55 and 65 cents for both of them. So like 30 cents apiece. Jesus told him to go pick up this coin in the fish's mouth. And it, ha- it was the exact amount of money that he needs for both taxes to be paid. And it happens to be, Jesus even was more specific. He says, throw in a hook. And the first fish you catch. He didn't say like the fifth fish. Jesus knew that the first fish that was going to bite on Peter's hook was, was the fish with the coin in its mouth. Now, how did the coin get in that fish's mouth? Well, for, I'm a fisherman. I haven't been fishing in years, but I was raised fishing. I was a teenager and a young, young boy in my, my single digits. I fished every day. There's a little pine creek. I learned a lot about fishing. And I know the fish love things that flash. And you know what? Somebody probably dropped this coin in the water, or it was in the water, and God created the Lord created it right there. And that fish happened to be there, and he picked it up because it's shiny. Thought it was something good to eat. I know when I was in Canada fishing, when I was about eight years old, my dad took me to Canada from Pennsylvania to Canada, and we went way up into Onaping, Canada, which is which is up pretty far up there. And uh, we were catching so many fish. They were all northern pike, okay? And uh, I was just a little boy, and we had a spoon that was broken. So I drilled the hole. I don't remember how I did it. I drilled the hole of the spoon on both ends, and I put a treble hook on the back, and I had some shoe polish that my dad carried around with him to touch up his lures, and I painted it uh, red with the silver, red and silver stripes on it, and I threw it in the water, and I caught the biggest fish that was caught up there with that spoon. Fish like shiny objects. And that could have been the way it happened. Or Jesus could have just created the fish and the, uh, the fish with the coin in his mouth. Or he could have created the fish, and a, somebody just threw the coin in the water, maybe like we do today at a fountain. People do it, you know, they make a wish, and they throw a penny in, in the water. You know, listen. How did Jesus know all this? Because he was omnipresent. His omnipresent. Jesus in this little passage is identifying himself as being omnipresent, all-knowing, all-seeing, always present, and we're going to see his power, and we're going to see his his omnipotence, his, his power. He could have created that fish. He could have created the coin. How did he do it? We don't know. We just know that he did it. But Jesus honors, here's a lesson. Jesus honors a believer's words. 
if they line up with the gospel or the word of God. You know why? In Matthew 18, when we get there next week, we may get to this passage. Here's what Jesus said. God honors those, um, God honors our words. Peter, God, Jesus was honoring Peter's words. You know what he said? Know what 18, 18 says in Matthew? What you bind on earth is bound in heaven. What you loose on earth is loosed in heaven. That means that God honors your word as long as it lines up with the word of God. Don't tell God, hey, I'm going to win the lottery next week. He could care less about the lottery. And you, did you know that 90-some percent of the people that win the lottery go bankrupt within five years? You're wasting your money. Don't even do it. Save the money, you'll have a bigger pile at the end of the year than you would in putting it into the, into the lottery. God doesn't say he's going to win the lottery. He says, trust in the Lord with all his heart and, you know, and he'll give you the desires of your heart. God's desire is not for you to become a millionaire. God's desire for you is to become from a caterpillar to a butterfly. To be converted like a little child. That's God's will for you. That's God's will for this God-forsaken world out here that don't know Jesus. That's his will. If you delight in the Lord, you will have the same will he does. Why do you think Jim travels the country preaching the gospel? Why do you think I'm up here, you know, uh, every week? Why do you think I study all week long? Why do you read your Bible all, all week long? Because you want to grow in the knowledge of God. You want to grow up. And you were commanded to grow up. And you are doing good. God approves of what you're doing, reading the Bible. Don't depend every week to just take a little uh, devotional and read one passage of Scripture and a little, a little sentence about it. You know, that is not going to grow you up. That's like eating cake and ice cream for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. You're going to get sick. You're going to have a sick preaching gospel. The gospel has got to be balanced. It's got to be balanced. And that means you have to be a balanced believer. It isn't about money. It's about Jesus Christ, him crucified. If you, in this church today, you know, you aren't here for money. You came to hear from God, I hope. And you're hearing from God. People say to me all the time, I don't hear from God anymore. They just told me, I, they just told me what their problem was. Do you know that? Their problem was they don't read the Bible. Because the Bible says in the former days, God spoke through the prophets. But in these last days, he speaks through his son. His son, the word of God. He speaks through the Bible. So you just told me you don't read your Bible. So if you're saying God doesn't speak to you, I suggest right now, when you go home, start reading your Bible. And it might not be the first verse. You might have to read 10 chapters before you come to it and God answers you. Or it might even be longer. could be days. You've got to do it. Because as you... As the word of God infiltrates your body, you know, you'll be changed and renewed. And you'll become, every struggle with the word of God is like that, but that caterpillar in the cocoon whose wings are growing. He's struggling to get out. And all that struggle, if you try to, if you try to free that butterfly before his struggling is done, he'll just die. He has to struggle. He struggles because, so his wings get strong. And they get beautiful, and they have time to grow. It only takes like 14 days. They struggle for 14 days, and he pops out of that cocoon a beautiful monarch butterfly. You might have to struggle a little bit, but God's going to have you in his arms. And in those tough times, 
when you see the one set of footprints in the sand and you say, God, why did you forsake me? And he says to you, son, that was me, my footprints, because I was carrying you. Jesus' royalty, he didn't need to pay the tax. But Jesus will pay the tax, listen to this, because he didn't want to be, he didn't want to offend the people that were collecting the tax at the temple. You see, he avoided an argument here. You know why? Because he's trying to teach you and me and even them back then. The, the real purpose of this pastor, this passage, which is, this is a foreshadowing of the work of redemption for all men who believe. And we didn't even get to that part yet, but did you see it yet? Shake your head yes or no. I don't think most of you see it yet, do you? Okay, we're going to get there. <clears throat> Peter said to him, for strangers. Okay, so here's the notable miracle, and I just told you pretty much all of it. You know, he knew that there was a fish. Do you know what God told Isaiah, the first chapter? I read the sixth chapter, almost the whole chapter. In the first chapter, in the third verse, God says this to Israel. He says, the ox knows its master, and the donkey knows its master's manger, but my people don't know me. Listen, this fish knew who Jesus was, but nobody else did. Do you know that? An animal. You know, I talk to my puppy dog like she knows God as best as I do, or even better. Because she, I don't think she even questions it. I believe that little puppy dog knows her maker. Why? Because the Word of God says it right here. The ox knows its maker. And the King James Version says, the ass knows its master's manger, his feeding trough. But my people don't know me. God, the Lord is upset. He wants the Christians today that claim to be Christians, not because they were born a Catholic, a Methodist, uh, uh, you know, whatever Christian, a Baptist, a uh, uh, Lutheran. It doesn't matter. He wants his people to know you, him. That's what he wants his people to know. He wants you to know him. But the fish know it. The ox knows it. The donkey knows it. But you don't know it. There's a world of almost 8 billion people out there, and maybe, a lot of people say like 20% are Christians. I think 20% may call themselves Christian, but I'll tell you what, that figure is probably more like 2 or 3% are real, true Christians that actually believe. Jesus, the fish knows, the ox knows, the donkey knows, but Israel don't know, and born again, or Christians don't know who claim to be Christian. They think, they're, they think they're born into a Christian home because you're Catholic or Protestant or Methodist or Lutheran because you're born in that religion, you're going to heaven. That's not true. You know how denominations were formed? By, by the devil causing divisions. And now we've got all these different you know, things out there, these different churches out there that are supposed to be preaching the same thing. Jesus dead, buried, risen, and, and the third day, according to the scriptures. How far, how come we don't know these things? How come we don't know? Like, we're just like Israel. We've fallen asleep. We're not awake. We're not awake to what God is saying. Jesus is, is 
The fish knows. The ox knows. Jesus, just think about what he did. Here's what the Bible says, what Jesus was telling them about his omnipresence, his omni, omnipotent, I always get them mixed up, always present. He wanted them to know he's all-powerful and he's all-knowing. They wanted you to know he's the creator. John, chapter 1, I was talking about it, chapters 1, verse 1 through 3. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. He was in the beginning with God. And listen to this, the third verse. And all things were created through him and for him, and he holds all things together. Woo! The fish knows, the ox knows, the donkey knows, but even Christians, so-called Christians, don't know. And if they do, they say, I'm a Christian, but I'm not like you. Well, what's the difference? You know what? You're not born again. You not, have not been converted. You need, that's why you're not like them. You're not converted. And you must be converted. Colossians says it in a different way. This is the Apostle Paul writing. We just heard the Apostle John. For him, for by him all things were created in heaven, on earth, visible, invisible, whether thrones or dominions, rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and all things hold together because of him. Jesus just throwed, showed them all his attributes, some of his attributes, omnipresent, all powerful, all knowing. You know what? That coin was was, what's it going to say about the coin? The coin was in God's treasury. All Jesus was doing, like, he was doing exactly what you do. You transfer money every week to your savings account. Jesus was just transferring his money, really, if you want to call it his money, you know, because he owns everything, okay? I know, I know you're going to say, you know, render to Caesar what is Caesar's. Well, that fish was Jesus's. And that coin was Jesus's. And he was just taking it from one ministry and putting it in another ministry. That's all he was doing. So why fight? Why fight and make somebody mad? Jesus just surrendered. And not only that. So, listen, here's the foreshadowing. The foreshadowing. Let me show it to you. Jesus did not actually owe the tax. Jesus did not actually owe the debt of sin, did he? But he paid it anyway, didn't he? That's the foreshadowing that I saw. And I got chills on me right now just thinking about it. I've read this passage maybe a hundred times. I've taught through the book of Matthew at least probably four or five times. This is the first time I saw it in 43 years. Jesus didn't owe the tax, but he paid the tax. Jesus didn't owe the debt you owe to God for the penalty of your sins, but he paid it for you anyhow, just like he paid Peter's tax. Isn't that cool? 
I love it. I love it. These are the things you see in the Word of God. The Word of God is so beautiful, but yet people don't even want to read it. I sat in Vietnam where I first picked up my Bible, a little bit of Gideon Bible. Every, every soldier back then got one. I don't know if they do it today. I opened up my Bible in Vietnam, and I'm, I'm going like this, reading the Bible. I'm shaking because I, something in me knew it was the Word of God. I wasn't until seven years later when I became a believer. It took seven years for me to be in that cocoon. And finally I came out. A little child, converted, metamorphosed, changed to not only not a soul, but a spirit that's alive and well within me. Everybody has a body, soul, and a spirit. Your spirit is dead until you believe. Your spirit's dead. Your soul does whatever it wants to do. Whatever feels good, do it. You want to smoke dope? You smoke dope. You want to do crack? You do crack. You want to get drunk? You get drunk. You want to look at pornography? You, get por- you love pornography. Your soul man is the one that fights against your spiritual man whenever you get saved. When you get saved, you call upon Jesus and you allow him to pay your sin's debt then all of a sudden, you're changed. You're changed. Jesus included Peter in his provision. And Jesus included you in his provision when he died on the cross. He died as a foreshadowing that he saved you, paying your debt for you, if you choose to believe it or accept it. A lot of people know it, but they haven't received it. The principle with a promise. The principle is you, like Peter, must receive it. Peter received it. He didn't say, oh, no, Jesus, don't pay my tax. I don't owe it. Jesus, I don't owe that tax. I live here in Capernaum. He didn't say that. You know what he did? He allowed Jesus to pay the debt. And you, as a believer, whether you're online or here, if you need to allow Jesus to pay your sin's debt, and what is sin's death? The wages of sin is death, physical and spiritual death. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. This is the foreshadowing of Christ's work of redemption. You have been redeemed from your sin. Your tax, your penalty has been paid. Now, if there's anybody in here that hasn't done that, you need to choose today. You can choose to let Jesus pay your sin's debt, or you can just walk out of here, I should say, crawl out of here, the caterpillar that you are. Or you can fly out of here on the wings of a monarch butterfly. And you can go out into the atmosphere and you can wait upon the Lord like an eagle waits upon the Lord and he renews his strength. It's your choice. So if you want to, if you're sitting in your seats going over the internet or even here, you're going like this. You know what? That's the Holy Spirit. He's saying to you, pull up your bootstraps, gain some courage, and get up front. I need you. I love you. I want you. 
So come on up, anybody that wants Jesus in their life. Anybody else? Anybody else? Raise your hands forward and spread out your arm towards this young lady. What's your name? Nancy. Nancy. Say, Jesus, I want, I want your, I want you to come into my life. Jesus, I want you to come into my life. I believe that you are the Messiah. I believe that you are the Messiah. The Son of God. The Son of God. Who came? Who came? Who died? Who died? And who was buried? And who was buried? And who was risen from the dead. I invite you into my heart. I invite you into my heart. Come and live inside me. Come and live inside me. And make me the woman you want me to be. And make me the woman that you want me to be. I'd say this with tears tears from my heart. From my heart. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Amen. Amen. God bless you, Nancy. Welcome. Welcome to the family of God. You might not know this, but you just witnessed one of the greatest miracles that could ever be. Uh, An unregenerated person being regenerated into the creature that God wants them to be. Nancy, thanks for your courage. You have work to do, though. You got a good friend there that, beside you, that he can teach you a lot in the in the few months that he's been saved. I'll read your Bible. If you don't have a Bible, I will get you one. Do you have one? Okay. Max, make sure it's a good one. New King James, something like that. Huh? Okay, I'll I'll get you one before you leave. Well, let's. Listen, all of heaven, according to the word of God, is rejoicing right now because Nancy's name is written in the book. And it's going to stay there forever. So praise God. Lord God, we thank you for this day. We bless your holy name. Thank you, Father, that three verses from your Bible just changed a person's life. Not just a person's life, but all of us in this room that have learned things we haven't learned before. Lord, we love you with all of our heart. Thank you for showing the reality of who you are to us today. And we give you the glory forever and ever. In Jesus' holy name, amen and amen. God bless you, church. I love you all. Thank you.